So open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Now, the last time we were in Mark 5, I, I told you that the Lord used Mark's gospel here in verses 21 to 43 to, to truly just unveil a divine drama for us and for those readers at that time. For us, though, of uh, ultimately revealing to us the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He, he unveils for us in this divine drama the glory of, of Jesus's power and his mercy as Jesus interact with these needy people in Mark 5. And Mark does this, like I said last time, through a series of, of rapid events that are like, if you will, three scenes of a divine drama. And the last time I covered two of those scenes. In that first scene that we saw there in verses 21 to 24, we were introduced to Jairus and his seedling faith. We see in this text Jairus' desperate faith, and it reveals to us a seedling faith, a faith that's not yet matured. Let's, let's look at the text there, 21 to 24. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Then it simply says, And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Here, here we see Jairus coming to Jesus with this seedling faith. This, this lack of maturity is obvious in his, his approach to Jesus. He just knows he is a healer. He doesn't fully understand who he is and what he came to do. But yet he comes to him with this need for his daughter, this desperate need. And in the seedling faith, though, what we can see in this text as we read through it today, this seedling faith will begin to grow. It will begin to mature through his encounter with Jesus. But it's going to mature and grow through a providential test of faith that comes soon after this. Before that happens, though, we have to address the second scene of this divine drama. The second scene takes place in verses 25 to 34. Let's read that. And there was a woman. And he's, he's with Jesus. Jairus is with Jesus going to his home to, to see his daughter healed. And, and all of a sudden there's a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This, this scene here, this scene that we see in this divine drama, is, could be called a divine interruption. And it had to take place because this was a desperately sick woman. 
She was weak and she was fearful. She's trembling before Jesus. She's coming to him with weak faith. And this is actually happening for Jairus' good, though he doesn't know it at the time. And Jairus and this woman, they do come from very different backgrounds, very different situations, but they both have one thing in common. Neither of them can change their desperate situations. They must both entrust their need to Christ. Both of them had differing forms of desperate and weak faith. And they only had one solution for their problem, and that was Christ. Now, as we approach the final scene here of this divine drama today, in verses 35 to 43, I was kind of taken back, even as Justin was teaching this morning, about the first fruits and the Lord of the harvest. And I was thinking, I probably should have put this in my notes, so I scribbled it down the side here. But I got three sermons in this one sermon, all right? I'm not going to preach all three, I pray, but just so you know... When you come to the end of this passage, we see a glorious picture of Christ's power here that even points to what Justin addressed this morning, the power of Christ in the resurrection. And just think about this as you read the text with me in a moment. Just think about how how this little girl even portrays or, or illustrates to us our resurrection in Christ on that final day. When we are given new bodies, raised up to be with him, he calls us with a word and we rise up out of the grave to meet him and all the saints who are gathered about him in the air. That's happening at the end of this narrative. When Jairus brings Jesus home and the little girl is brought to life by Jesus's word of power. And then around her are all the saints that Christ has called To be there to rejoice in this great resurrection. This points us to the great resurrection to come. This this divine drama is multifaceted and layered and glorious to behold. But before we can get to the last scene here, we have to remember, though, that it comes out of a divine delay. A divine interruption. There in verses 25 to 34. Remember in this section that I just read to you from 25 to 34 that we see Jairus, we see Jairus at one point, he is, he is absolutely enraptured with hope as Jesus quickly responds to his desperate plea for this little girl. His daughter is dying and Jesus is coming. Jesus responds just by going with him immediately. But then his enraptured soul is greatly disappointed. By a divine interruption. A sick and defiled woman interrupts Jairus' hopeful situation. Now, I said this last time, and I want to say it again because I think it's important to the text. I want you to try to place yourself in Jairus' shoes. Imagine Jairus' reaction at this point in this divine interruption. And I think you won't have to stretch to do that because I think you've probably felt much like he does in my imagination anyway, at this point. Just think about it. He's, he's likely standing there, super excited that Jesus is going with him to restore health to his child who is dying. And then this woman interrupts. And now he's standing there anxious, annoyed by this interruption. Come on, Jesus. I just told you my baby is dying. This woman can wait. My baby is at the point of death. She's been sick for 12 years. Let's keep going. You could come back to her. 
Can't you imagine him thinking that? That's what I would be thinking. My baby's dying and this woman comes up who's had an issue of blood for 12 years. She's going to live for another few hours. Let's go on and take care of this baby girl. She's dying. So when you put yourself in Jairus' shoes, you, you, you might see this interruption as more of an intrusion. More of an intrusion. Because Jairus at this point, he has no idea. He has no idea that this divine delay was designed for his good and God's glory. He has no idea that this divine delay was designed to mature his faith in Christ and give him a fuller picture of Jesus than that of just a healer, but rather the Lord of life himself. So as I thought about that, I thought about how does this apply to us? You know, it's one of the things you think through as you're reading a text like this. And I think a lot of times that we are much like Jairus when it comes to petitioning the Lord in our times of desperation. We often call upon Christ in these desperate moments, and it seems like he simply delays to answer. We don't get an immediate response. We don't see immediate action taking place in our petition. And whenever that happens, we again fall prey to what probably Jairus fell prey to here. We become anxious. We become frustrated. And maybe we think, the Lord really doesn't even care about my need. And we think that way for the same reason that Jairus thinks this way. It's due to our immature faith, our seedling faith. Because like Jairus, we can't see what the Lord is ordaining through this divine delay. We can't see that because <laughs> we don't have eyes to see clearly apart from his revelation, his word of truth that comes to us. But in Jairus' case, we have hope because we do have a revelation of what this divine delay is intended to do. So I want you and I to take courage in the divine delays that God ordains for you. You're going to face them if you haven't already as a Christian. You need to see them from the perspective of what we see taking place here in this whole narrative. Because even at this moment, Jairus couldn't see it, but he would see why this divine delay had came into his life. He, he will see that it was a merciful delay. God has mercifully ordained this interruption for Jairus's ultimate good and for God's ultimate glory. Because this delay will, will gloriously answer Jairus's prayer beyond measure. And it will also strengthen his weak faith in the Lord Jesus, who is there to help him. This woman's interruption here, we now know by the revelation of God in Mark 5, we now know that this woman's interruption was ordained by God to prepare Jairus for a greater revelation and answer to his prayer than he could have ever imagined. Had she not come, had she not been needy, had she not been weak and infirmed, and Christ has not reached out to her in love to then restore her after she is healed, he wouldn't truly see the full glory of who it is is coming to his house that day. But God ordained this and the timing in which it took place to be a living demonstration of Jesus' power, his omnipotence, to heal this broken woman's body and restore her soul and it's also a living demonstration of his great compassion, his mercy, not only for her, but also for Jairus, because he, like her, was still weak in faith and needed to be established. So Jesus is doing this for both their good and for his own praise. We see him do that in verse 35a, even as 
Jesus is still speaking to this restored woman in 35a. It says, while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, there's a there's a interruption now of a different type that comes into play. While he's still speaking to this woman, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? While Jesus is speaking to her, again, put yourself in Jairus' shoes for a moment. Frustrated, concerned, anxious, doubting, weak in faith. Jairus receives the most devastating news possible that a parent could ever hear. In one moment, in one glorious moment, the beginning of this passage, he receives hope that his little girl will be healed, will be restored to health. But in the very next moment, through this interruption, he hears the most chilling news of all. Death's cold grip has seized your baby girl. Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Jairus, it's too late. Just go home and mourn with your wife. What's this do to Jairus? I think it's obvious because of what Jesus says later on in verse 36. I think it fills Jairus with fearful grief. But in verse 36, Jesus is the only one who hears this news and is unswayed. He sees Jairus' weak, immature faith here, his fearful grief filling him. Instead of rebuking him, though, what's Jesus do? He, he tenderly looks at Jairus and says in verse 36, do not fear, only believe. He's saying, believe in me. Believe in my power and my mercy to accomplish what you need most. When, when I read this and I see Jesus' interaction with this this immature faith, this man who's struggling, this fearful person, I, I, am, I am encouraged to know that our sovereign God isn't just omnipotent. He is full of compassion for those who are hurting. He cares about Jairus. He cares most ultimately that Jairus would see who he is truly and would trust in him and his fears would be removed. And Jesus understands that in our situations, too. We need to keep that in mind. Jesus knows that fear and doubt when news like this comes can overwhelm us. But again, with Jairus, he, he doesn't let Jairus lose hope and he won't let us either. If we look to his revelation, we look to his word of truth. Instead of letting him lose hope by the words he heard from these men, his words then call Jairus to fully trust in him. His words are not just meant for Jairus. They're also meant for us, though. We need to keep that in mind. When, when all seems lost, do not fear. Believe in Christ. Look to the one who gave you life. If he's done the greater thing in dying for you on the cross, he can do the lesser thing and care for your spiritual needs in life. Now, what I love about reading through this is Jairus, we obviously can see, is Surprised by this chilling news. The people who brought it were surprised by this chilling news. But the only one who's not surprised is the one who ordained the timing in this delay. Church, nothing happens in our life, as in Jairus' case. 
Nothing happens in our life outside of God's sovereign purposes. Nothing takes our sovereign Savior by surprise either. Nothing takes him by surprise. So, so when we hear news that shocks us and reels us and causes us to fall back in weak faith, listen to the words of Christ here. Do not fear. Even when your faith feels weak, even when all seems lost, look to Christ. He cares. He cares about us just like Jairus in our weakest and most fearful moments. So do not fear. Believe. Trust in him. Trust in the one who promises to never leave us nor forsake us in our time of need. He died for the needy. He continues to care for us because we continue to need him. And we see that he cares for Jairus, though Jairus's faith is not fully formed. It's not really the kind of faith that is actually exciting to look at. He's up and he's down. He's not sure he's trusted in Jesus to one degree, but not fully. But Christ didn't. Depart from him when he lacked faith, when he was filled with fear and grief. Jesus didn't rebuke him in this moment. Instead, Jesus tenderly looks him in the eyes and commands Jairus to trust in him. And what I love, he then grants Jairus what he commands. He commands him to do something that's utterly impossible, humanly speaking. But then Christ grants him the power through his mercy to obey his command. That's what we see happen next. Jairus' faith begins to grow evidentially here. As he begins to trust in Christ through this divine delay. In verse 37, we can see that he trusts in him because Jairus appears... Responds in faith immediately, taking Jesus and his disciples to his home. In verse 37, it says, Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Right now, implied in that is they're following Jesus to Jairus's house. Jairus is leading the way. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. So Jairus immediately responds to Jesus's command. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Believe in me. Trust me. And when they arrived there at the home, we see what's going on, which is very common in this, this Jewish culture. The house is filled with professional mourners. Jairus was an important man in the culture. He was a dignitary, if you will, a dignified man. And, and to encourage the fact that he's important, people would actually hire people to mourn at the loss of a loved one. And these people are there and, and we can see they are weeping and wailing. People are weeping and wailing loudly, literally. Allah, 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 Allah. It's a chant. It's to express some sort of outward grief. It looks on the outside sincere, but the one who knows all truth appears. And when he does, he exposes hypocrisy. When when Jesus shows up at the home and he declares to these people, listen, um, death doesn't reign over this little girl. I do. Then all of a sudden we see the superficial mourning Turn immediately to mockery. Verse 38. When they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, he saw 
a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They scorned him. They mocked him. And one moment they're crying and then the next minute they're mocking. Now, I think this is important because in the presence of Christ, their hypocrisy was exposed and their lack of faith is made evident. Yet Jairus is standing there and he's hearing all this. and He's looking to Christ and Christ even gives him a glimpse of the authority that he holds over all mankind, not only the enemy that he will soon defeat. He gives us a glimpse of this authority here as he deals with these mockers. In verse 40, he, he puts them all outside. He puts them all outside. Jesus shows up and immediately takes charge. He puts them all outside, all except the child's father and mother and those who are with him. And he went in where the child was. And then, then amazingly, in verse 41, <laughs> Jesus, the Son of God and Lord of life, not only shows a glimpse of his authority and his glory, but he reveals his full authority and mercy to Jairus and those with him by revealing that he has full authority, not only over man, but over mankind's greatest enemy, death itself. Look at verse 41. Love this verse. Just notice his interaction with this family in mourning and this child lying there dead. Taking her by the hand. He didn't have to do this. This is the author of life, the creator and sustainer of all things, spoke the world into existence. And he tenderly takes her by the hand and he says to her, Talitha Kume, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise, arise. Now, when I read this one little verse, my mind cannot fully comprehend what's happening here. In one glorious divine moment. Jesus is revealing to Jairus and his disciples his omnipotent power combined with his tender mercy as he embraces this child's situation and speaks to her and speaks life into her very body. He, he, he takes, he takes, just, just imagine this. If you've never been around someone who has died, if you've never touched a dead body, just imagine just imagine in your mind what this is like. I've done it, and it's, it's awful. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's sad. It's a reminder of the fall of man when we see death reigning over a life. But he takes this little girl. He takes her dead, cold, and pale hand into his. And he gently says to her, literally, little lamb, I say arise, arise. These words are really important to the text because these words we, we now attribute to Jesus, right? But these were the common words of the day. These were the very phrases that her parents would have said to her every morning when it's time to get up. Little lamb, come on, arise, get up. But now when Jesus says this, there's nothing common about it at all. Those, those common words, when they come out of Jesus' mouth, they come with divine authority and power. Because Jesus, the Son of God, 
as we know, is the Lord of life itself. His, his omnipotent and merciful voice can bring the dead to life. You're a testimony of that if you're born again. Jesus himself says this in John eleven twenty five. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he goes on to say in John 5 that as the father raises the dead and gives life, so also the son gives life. But, but now, now notice, notice carefully how Jesus accomplished this in this case with this little girl. This is so different than what we see in many accounts of resurrections in the Bible outside of Jesus. Notice that he doesn't have to shout into her dead ears to wake her up. He doesn't have to wring his hands and offer incense and go through the commotion of, of trying to, to do something to draw her back from the dead. He doesn't need to do what Elijah and Elijah had to do in the Old Testament. He doesn't stretch himself out over her body three times. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he displays his power and his mercy with a gentle word. He gently speaks a tender and life-giving command to her, and she lives. This is what happens when we're born again. In one moment, we are dead in our sins and trespasses. And then Jesus speaks to us through the power of the gospel. And we live. He doesn't have to labor at it. He doesn't struggle doing it. He does it. And immediately, like the girl, we get up and we begin walking. We begin walking around. We begin then living in him. Now, in verse 42b, notice that. The reaction is, is overwhelming here to what Jesus has done. The reaction of the witnesses to this miraculous resurrection is astounding. It says, and immediately they were overcome with amazement. Literally, it means they were astonished with great astonishment. Mark is searching for words to use here to define the awe that came over those people, the disciples and Jairus and his wife, as they saw what Jesus did. Why were they astonished? Why were they amazed? I think it's obvious to us, but sometimes we grow so familiar with the power of Jesus to raise the dead, but we're not stepping back in awe of him. And that's what Mark wants us to do here, like the people in Jairus' home. They're amazed because Jesus did what no mere man can ever do. There were many people in that day, in that place, that were called healers who went throughout the land, but none of them could bring the dead to life. Only Jesus can. And saints, that is your hope when you're talking to spiritually dead people. He can do that with a word. But no man can do this. We understand this. We, we see this even today. There are people that you've loved that have passed away and that you've, you've wanted so badly in one sense to see them still stand here with you. But you could do nothing about it to hinder it, to bring them back or anything else. We can't do this. Because death holds its captives in bars of iron. And it did on that day until Jesus shows up. But now at the word of the Lord Jesus, death had to release this little girl. 
Because the Lord of life and death commanded it to do so. See, Mark's wanting us to have a greater view of who Jesus is so that our faith, like Jairus's, would be matured, so that we would be in awe, so that we would be strengthened, so that we would be edified to declare the truth about our Savior and our Lord to those who are still spiritually dead and in their sins, hoping in God to do that work we can't do. Jairus is affected like, like all the rest in the house. He's affected like the disciples were in the boat when Christ calms the storm. Except this time, Jairus isn't wondering who this is, but he's recognizing who he is. He knows now who then this Jesus is. He has seen him and his glory. My question for us is, do we see him for who he truly is today? Do you now see by faith? Who is with you in your greatest trials to strengthen you? It's Jesus, if you're a believer. Do you now see who hears you when you cry out for mercy in your time of need, even if it seems to be a delayed response? It's Jesus, our sovereign and compassionate Savior. He hears us when we cry. And when he acts, he will accomplish what is best for us. So the question is, church, are you amazed by this? As amazed as the people in Jairus's home on that day. Are you amazed by this miracle in particular and the revelation that accompanies it about who Christ is? I hope you are, because I think in this miracle and revelation, we as Christians can find great encouragement. There in Mark 5, I think what we see, some, some things to think about in application here, Right? Think about this. And I, I was burdened by this this week. And I was thinking how, how, how many ways I could probably bring application to you and encourage you in, in the truth that's here. But one of the things that stood out to my heart for obvious reasons is I want to see the glory of Christ that can raise the spiritually dead. And I want to see it. And I don't want to be afraid for those who are still lost in their sins. I want to trust him for it. In Mark 5, we see that Christ obviously has the power and mercy to grant Jairus what he needed most. And what he needed most was a true revelation of who Jesus is, not just the resurrection of his child. Jairus, in one sense, is a lot like his daughter. He needed his eyes opened to see the glory of Christ. He needed his eyes opened by the power of Christ. Church, That's what all sinners need most. What all sinners need most is is revealed to us through this impossible situation we read about here in Mark 5. Jairus had longed, as a parent would, for his daughter's resurrection on this journey back home. But, But he and his daughter truly needed more than that physical resurrection. They needed Christ to grant them spiritual life and eyes to see who he truly is. And that's what he does here. And, and, and every Christian here can testify to this. This is what God has done in your life. He has, he has worked in a way to bring the power and mercy to you personally. He, he spoke to you when you were dead in your sins through the power of the gospel. And then he raised you up from spiritual death and granted you faith and eternal life in Christ. Don't forget that. When you're dealing with an impossible situation that you think that cannot be conquered. Let this give you hope 
Let it give you hope for those who seem like they're hopeless. Let it give you hope for those who seem to be hardened by sin today. Be encouraged by this. Don't fear, but believe. Jesus raised you up out of death unto life. And he can raise up those we consider impossible to revive as well. In Mark 5, his words here brought life to this dead child. But it did more than that. It granted Jairus faith to believe. And Jesus can do that today for your lost loved ones and friends. Jairus' little girl is a living illustration of that. It's a living illustration of Jesus' power and his mercy to raise to life those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. So I want you to take courage in your evangelism because that courage comes from knowing who this Savior is that redeemed you. There is no sinner beyond his ability and his power to save. When Christ calls a sinner to spiritual life, they will respond. They will hear and they'll be granted new life. So there's much more going on in these miracles that we read about in Mark 4 and 5. In essence, they're all meant to remind us of what Christ can do and who he is. In order to strengthen our weak faith when we doubt God's power, when we doubt his concern, when we doubt. They're all given to remind us of who he is and what he can do. Because all these miracles reveal to us something glorious about Jesus. Think about it. From Mark 4 all the way into Mark 5, they reveal to us that when Jesus confronted natural problems and spiritual problems and even now eternal problems, he conquered them all on behalf of the people that he loved. People who had no hope and no strength in this world apart from his merciful intervention. When you read through these accounts over and over again, you see this. You see him conquering situations that are beyond all human ability. That was your condition before he conquered the sin in your life and brought you to life. So, again, take courage in this when you cry out in faith to him for others. He is able to conquer the most impossible situations and the greatest of all enemies, even death itself. So we can cry out to him. Like Jairus and like even the woman in her response to Jesus in his restoration, we can cry out to him and we can cry out with full assurance of faith because whatever we're facing in life today, whatever circumstances have come our way, situations with our family, with our friends, with our children, whatever they may be, we know this for certain. It is not beyond the power and the care of the Lord Jesus Christ who has redeemed our souls. Nothing is beyond his care and his power. It doesn't matter. And this is the way we feel. And I know this experientially. It doesn't matter how hopeless our situation may seem to be at the moment. It doesn't matter that it's beyond our power to change it in our strength. Whatever the impossible situation or sorrow is. Here's what I know. You can trust Jesus. You can trust that this situation is impossible Battle before you is not beyond his power and his mercy to grant you what you need most and what is most needed for others. We know that because of our own testimonies. We know this because he has already granted us the greatest miracle of all. He's already provided for us for our greatest need. And how do you do that? We know this. 
He did that when he came to absorb the full penalty of God's wrath against our sins and then called us to spiritual life so that we can rest in him. We can rest in his mercy and his power to do what is impossible for man. And we're called to be his instruments here on earth, ambassadors in his stead. This this revelation of who Jesus is, is is the only hope for sinners. The revelation of Jesus's nature, his power, his compassion. This is this is our eternal hope. And we can trust in this when we're dealing with impossible situations. We're dealing with those who are still dead in their sins and trespasses. Jesus can conquer that enemy because he conquered the enemy in us. He's restored us to life. Just like he does here in this physical resurrection of Jairus's daughter. It's interesting in verse 43, after they're immediately overcome with amazement, a really benign verse follows. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, I've read about 20 commentaries on this. None of them agree. All right. Which tells me they don't know. Um, I'll tell you what I think. You couldn't keep this a secret very long, right? But again, it, it testifies to the tenderness of Jesus. The girl had been sick for some time, weak physically, died. She's given new life. She's hungry. <laughs> Don't take her out and parade her in the crowd and say, look what Jesus did. Feed her. Care for her. I mean, he cares about us. That's what I'm wanting to get across to you this morning. He is omnipotent. But he's also merciful. He cares. So do not fear whatever the impossible situation is. Only believe. Only believe in him. Rest in him. And trust your needs to him. The greatest need anyone has is to know him. Is to see him for who he is. And in Mark's gospel and in Luke's gospel and in John's gospel and Matthew's gospel, that's what we get to see. But there's more to him than just meets the eye. It takes faith. You must trust in him. If you have not trusted in him for salvation, I must tell you today, I command you in his name to repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Look to him and live. He will grant you to do what he commands. So let's pray and give him thanks for this revelation this morning of hope. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. We thank you for what we see revealed to us here, even in Mark chapter 5, about the glorious nature of Christ. His power and his mercy are on full display for all to see here. And we should respond to that, Lord, with, with courage to trust him. And we are all like Jairus and this diseased woman. We are all weak and immature in our faith, but we know that you use that to, to bring us back to your word of truth, the truth about Jesus Christ, so that our faith will be strengthened and our heart would be made whole, that we would see you for who you are and be willing and confident to declare your glory and your power to others, though it seems they will not listen, though it seems that their deaf and dead ears cannot receive it. We know that but with a word, you can raise the dead to life. We thank you for that promise. We thank you for that revelation here in this gospel. I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.